0: Welcome to the Internet History Podcast. I'm your host, Brian McCullough. This is Chapter 5, Supplemental Episode 6. Owen Thomas is one of the most prominent voices in modern web media. He is currently the editor-in-chief of ReadWrite.com, but he was also the West Coast editor for Business Insider, the founding editor of The Daily Dot, executive editor of VentureBeat, managing editor of ValleyWag, and I could go on and on, uh, Business 2.0, Red Herring, etc. I was excited to talk to Owen about some of his earliest jobs, though, those at Hotwired and at Suck. Owen gives us some more great background on the launch of Hotwired, as well as the inner workings of Suck.com. So please enjoy this conversation with Owen Thomas. Owen Thomas, thanks for coming on the Internet History
2: Podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: So, uh, doing my research on you, um, on your LinkedIn profile, You mentioned an early job was like an an internship at at Mother Jones and getting Mother Jones on the web being like one of the first publications to go on the web. Can you tell me a little bit more about that?
2: Yes, actually, I um, so I can't take credit for getting Mother Jones online. That would be Joel Truer, um, who uh, who went on to have a career at Google um in various places uh, but he was the director of MIS and um he'd gotten Mother Jones online but you know the problem is he was he was the um he was the IT director at Mother Jones so he was you know like setting up people's email addresses you know email accounts and things like that uh he was busy so he couldn't you know he couldn't actually publish the publish the magazine to the web um so he did he needed interns I had applied for an internship and I think I was kind of vague about whether it was going to be editorial or like design and production. And I mentioned something about how how I'd been playing around with HTML. Um, So all of the intern applications for the magazine went directly to Joel. He uh, kind of commandeered mine and said, you're going to be a web intern. Um, So that was a... that was my first gig after college and I, I was thrilled to have it. It you know, it got me out to San Francisco. It paid for uh like a a bedroom in a co op. Um this was long before Airbnb, so mm-hmm. um I found that uh I, I found a place to crash through a friend of a friend. And um, you know, I was uh I was cranking out web pages. I was happy. Um I did eventually have to get like a a real paying job though, and that's when I became a webmaster at Publish magazine, which was uh, which was owned by International Data Group or IDG, the uh-huh. publisher of PC world and Mac world. Um, they're still around right um, And um, you know it was it was a great job and I got it because I knew how to take a take a magazine take a magazine page and post it online. You had to know Quark. You had to know, um, HTML, of course, BB edit, Photoshop. Had you, you know, had you done, uh, all these tools,
0: uh, comp sci in, in college or anything like that? How did, no. how did you get these
2: chops? I was an East Asian languages and civilizations maker. <laughs> okay. But you know, of course there, there was a computer science lab and, um, and, uh, we had a bunch of next computers there and, um, and the next computer was actually one of that was the original platform that um Tim Berners-Lee built the World Wide Web on. The first browser and server were were on next.
0: Right. And the first uh mosaic browsers were built on that also.
2: Absolutely. So um so a friend of mine who is now a big uh big burning man, burner dude, um introduced me to uh introduced me to Mosaic and you know that um that's where I kind of learned learned HTML and thought, you know, this is, this is really kind of interesting. This is something, you know, something I could maybe do. Um, but I you know, I was I was primarily thinking that Mother Jones might hire me for my desktop publishing skills, such as they were. Uh this was back in the days of PageMaker. <laughs> and, you know, but a lot of people we're making the migration from desktop publishing to web publishing. Um, You know, it was, it was similar skills. It was, it was, you know, text and images laid out on a page and you had to, you know, learn software to do it. Um, And so publish uh, publish magazine was in some ways a great, you know, a a great place to be a webmaster because um, you know, I was learning from all these folks who who had deep expertise in, in the, in the old publishing world. Um, And, um, you know, I could, I could maybe teach them a thing or two about the, the, this very new kind of publishing.
0: So tell me about jumping ship to Hotwired. Did you, did you go over to Hotwired after it had already launched or?
2: So uh, I had actually, so Hotwired had launched. um, I actually had tried to get a job there. I think I applied for, Anything. I think I applied for a customer support job there. Um, it was, you know, it was just, um, I think to use Lewis Rosetta's rhetoric, this pulsing cyber station was the dream job of anyone working on the web. What I didn't realize is that there were there were folks inside Hotwired who were disgruntled and, you know, not very, you know, not very pleased with the... Um, the content that Hotwired was producing.
0: Well, um, also at that time, wasn't there the whole controversy about it, it having a not a paywall, but it, you had to sign, you had to register to it see was, the content?
2: Yes, uh, it was to use um, the immortal words of Carl Stedman a page that made you choose log in or die. Because what are you going to do? You have mm-hmm. to log in. So it, it had a, a registration wall, which is. I mean, it's utterly un- uncontroversial now. I mean, we're just so used to creating accounts. But, um, you know, back then it was like, wait, pick a username, set up password?
0: Well, because also, or- wasn't it that they got, they got Lewis to agree to do Hotwired because he, he could see a business model for it if, if you could target ads to people, right? So if you, if you signed up, he, he would know who you were, and then that's why he signed off?
2: Right, there were no there were no cookies back then. There was no there was no way to identify a user aside from an actual account. I mean, in some ways, it, it presaged Facebook, right? You know, like, no, we want to actually have our readers be identified, but the anonymity of web browsing was kind of the, you know taken for granted back then. There was very little tracking. Um, you you really couldn't track people other than by IP address. Um, and and so it really ran against the the dominant culture of kind of internet insiders mm-hmm. who who were who were the ones you know, those were the only people around to read it. So you know,
0: yeah, but that's interesting to me. Like I've been reading up about Wired for this chapter, and and it almost seems like I, I think it's well known that that Wired kind of presages the the web exploding, and so like Wired kind of. We think of it in retrospect that it, it, it was the magazine of, of the web, you know, revolution or whatever, but there was almost sort of like the 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 kids that were like, no, this web thing is where it's at, and, and you know, the, the magazine is, is sort of the old model and things like that. Like, was there that sort of a tension in terms of HotWired?
2: Oh, definitely. I mean, there was, you know, like, HotWired was far more punk rock than, mm-hmm. you know, than Wired magazine. Um and yet, the you know the magazine staff felt like they were they were the ones bringing in the money, um, and and Wired was fat with ads back then. Um, even you know even very early, early on, there, there was not, there was literally nothing else like it on the market, so it was attracting all of these dollars from technology companies who wanted to seem cool, uh, you know luxury advertisers and automobile brands who wanted to seem innovative. You know, it was just, um, it, it, it was an incredible time before everyone else kind of piled into that market.
0: Mm-hmm. So what, what were you, what was your role at Hotware when you signed on?
2: So I really thought of myself as joining suck.com. The, okay. So I'll, I'll tell you the full story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a friend of mine, Mark Athitakis, who's now a, a writer based in Arizona, um, had applied for a copy editor job at, at SOC and uh, taken a test. And they, um, they gave the job to someone else. And I was, I was just so offended on his behalf because clearly this person they hired was not very good at her job. They had typos left and right. So, as a sort of revenge for you know for uh, for my friend Mark, I started emailing the suck team uh, every day an email with the subject line "Typos du jour. <laughs> and you know all of the, all of the the spellings, all of the factual errors, anything else I took issue with. And and, um, this, and
0: suck was famous for they always responded to like wasn't that a policy that that you always had to respond to any reader
2: emails? Um, yes, and and actually this <laughs> I I later became the one who who responded. Um, okay, that was that was by the way something I did at Mother Jones is I answered the um, the incoming emails and people would ask all kinds of questions. There was no Google back then, and the search engines were rudimentary, so. People would ask all kinds of questions about, you know, just like, how do I find this online resource? Um, but getting back to, to um, how I got my job at Suck, for four months, April to August, I sent typos du jour to, uh, to the Sucksters. And um, I think they realized that the woman who they hired as a copy editor was really much more talented as a writer. Um, and so they made her, they made her a writer and uh and relisted the copy editor job and carl asked me if i knew anyone who might be interested and i thought about it for maybe 10 seconds and <laughs> replied actually i think i would be so i came in i interviewed and um i think it was it was pretty much a foregone conclusion um
0: so, so uh, how 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 old is suck at this point when you come on
2: suck was just a year old okay. in fact i remember I remember being there for um the first suck anniversary um, and um I met michael Sippy, who was uh back then was one of the writers um, i I can still kind of picture the backpack he was wearing um and um yeah it was Hot Word was kind of at the the height of its its powers and its, its hubris. Uh, that's, that's the time when we launched Wired News to take on news.com. Um, Joel Truer, by the way, my boss at Mother Jones, had coincidentally uh, joined Hotwired. Wired. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't have any, a, any role in, in my coming to, to suck.com. In fact, he probably would have probably warned them against it. But, uh, but anyway, we, we both ended up there. Um, well, so me- it was kind of this vortex of talent.
0: Yeah, let me let me dial you back before you get into that because I, I, I'm gonna get into the, the all the talented people that were there. But um, do you were you do you remember any of like the origin story? Like it's Carl and Joey, Carl Stedman and, and Joey Enough, and and had did you hear like it it was pitched as sort of like a, a Mad Magazine for the web or something like that? Like so this is like a Skunk Works project kind of inside. Wired and hot wired, right?
2: Well, Skunkworks would would suggest that it had some kind of authorization. It had no authorization, really. Uh, Joey and Carl just set it up on a server um, that I think they had, you know, quote, you know, quote unquote borrowed um, with the um, with the help of an en- uh, with the help of an engineer
0: company, and they just
2: start- Yeah, they just started. Uh, no they just took up space on one of the servers in the uh, in the hotwired server farm um, this was pre cloud pre really data center so all of the servers that ran hotwired were on site um, so and they just started posting um, because they thought that hotwired was producing this you know this content that it, it wasn't true to the web it was like trying to be a magazine a magazine version of the web um and it wasn't fast enough and it wasn't interesting enough so they wrote about things they cared about and they did it every day there was not a lot of daily content on the web back then it was right you know, cuz
0: hotwired is still basically kind of repurposing its monthly content even or are they even doing weekly they were
2: no they were doing a lot of original content but they were doing it on like uh, on a weekly schedule at best okay um and Joey and Carl felt like that was not the, you know, the metabolism of the web.
0: Like sort yeah. of sort of pre, uh, already guessing that what you want to do is you get into work every morning and go to your favorite website and
2: Exactly. And that's you know, that's precisely what I did, you know, when, when I worked at publishers, I fired up suck.com to see what they had to say. Um so that, you know, establishing that that free you know, the idea of frequency um and habit. Um, was was a key innovation that mm-hmm. Joey and Carl had, um, and then there was the tone of it. Like you know, it was just it was written in this knowing, sarcastic, funny voice um, that you know certainly certainly didn't take itself too seriously, but didn't take anyone else seriously either.
0: Well, so and and also people are writing under pseudonyms. So I I seriously I. I... I assume that this was sort of uh, signed off on. So are they writing under pseudonyms because they're trying to hide it, that they're doing this?
2: They were trying to hide that they were doing it. Now they were not trying to hide very hard. Right. Eventually, um, the, uh, eventually management at hotwire figured out that the, (laughs) that the suck server was actually in their own data center, but that took them a while Mm -hmm. to figure out, um, and, you know, after that, it was pretty easy to, to trace it to Joey and Carl.
0: So it's kind of, it. it's, it, this is a whole package. It's like, we're, we're, we're kind of doing this DIY underground sort of stuff and, and we're doing it under pseudonyms. And, and so that, that lends itself to like the voice of like kind of outsidery snarky sort of voice, just, just by its nature of what they're doing. Yes.
2: But but decidedly not anti-capitalist. Um, Joey especially always embraced the idea of selling out, <laughs> um, and you know, and and so, so the story of how you know how Suck got uh, got bought by um, bought by the company that was unknowingly giving it shelter um, mm-hmm. was itself grist for the Suck Mill.
0: Right. Right. Well, we'll get to that in a second. Let me let me ask you, like, like aside from that, like, do you feel like, because you know, I'm kind of like a a year or two too young to, I, I was aware of Suck, but I wasn't a, like a huge reader or whatever. Do you feel like some of the some of the culture sort of came from like that zine culture, like like the early '90s, sort of like neo-punk rock culture because like you know like the first articles are about like the Kurt Cobain conspiracy theories and and
2: oh absolutely I mean it was you know it was it was a zine um you know it was a zine on the web it was uh, very
0: know. it was very simple like it was just it was black on white and and one column
2: yeah I, the amazing thing is that um is that the site is completely mobile optimized today. <laughs> you can read it on an iphone it looks great right um And, you know, and oh, that's the other thing is that, you know, Joe and Carl were designing it to actually be read on the computers and browsers of the day. And in the 90s, a lot of people had, you know, know, really, really underpowered PCs, tiny monitors by our standards. And they were on, you know, maybe 9,600 kilobit per second modems. Um, which is unfathomably, unfathomably slow to us like right right you can't even I can't even explain how slow that is to to a kid today <laughs> it's way um,
0: slower than edge just let's stipulate
2: but you know but suck would actually load and you know whereas hotwired's experimental layouts with these huge images would you know would just crawl and you know it, it didn't that didn't occur to the designers at hotwired because they were all sucking down in uh, Sucking down, you know, broadband speed internet through hot pink Ethernet cables.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, before I before I get onto the other stuff uh, on the pseudonyms, yours was uh, Jonathan Van Decimeter? It was. Could you care to give us the etymology of that, or
2: can I can I unpack that? Yeah, uh, Jonathan Van Meter was uh, was a um, magazine editor and writer, and he was most noted for um, for asking uh, if we were living in a "quote unquote" post-gay moment, mm-hmm. and um, I'm gay, and that that kind of spoke to me because the the conventional gay identity of the of the '90s mm-hmm. didn't really mesh with my you know my interest in the web and internet culture. Um, there definitely were gays online. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was. There was Planet Out back then, right? Um,
0: Going back to AOL days or something, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Planet Planet Out first launched on, uh, I think, on MSN, but rapidly embraced AOL uh-huh. um, as its as its primary platform. Um, so, but you know, the the kind of post gay thing um, really spoke to me. So, and I thought, well, I'm you know, I'm only a tenth the writer that Jonathan Van Matt. Jonathan Van Meter is so I will uh, um, I will call myself Jonathan Van Decimeter. <laughs> um, the the funny thing is that someone at some point got confused and thought Jonathan Van Meter had written uh, had written my essays, and um, and so Jonathan uh, Jonathan Van Meter actually got in touch with me and said, "Hey, who are you?" <laughs> and we had a nice exchange which yeah. is it was it was a little bit of a fanboy moment to uh to hear from one of my literary idols.
0: Well well let's get into that because um you know suck clearly had such a huge following amongst it it's not just media but it, it is media but it's also a specific type of media like the it's the media that's trying to get the web. It's the it's the um I, I, like I would say that like you know reading because there's there's still great archives online of suck go to suckcom and it's it's almost pitched to the cubicle workers that are working at these what are becoming the dot-com companies you know what I mean right and and a lot of a lot of the early stories are like sort of almost Diaries of like you know oh my my boss doesn't get this and that sort of thing
2: yeah um, TV for the blind is is an essay that I think it resonates today. I think, you know, you could show that to, um, to anyone working in online media, dealing with, you know, dealing with a parent company whose business is cable TV or, you know, or, or print or what have you. And it would still speak to them. Um, I think that, you know, the, those early essays really, really kind of established sucks identity as, um, as an outsider and yet an insider. Um, Carl and Joey were, you know, they were inside the beast. They were part of this company that was trying to go public and, you know, make a big profitable business off of online media. And yet they felt pretty strongly that Hotword was doing it wrong. And, because
0: because they're they're still tied to the traditional magazine model of of there's a schedule there's a week there's an issue there's a you know
2: yeah I mean it was it was some of it was um, you know just take, taking those those fussy magazine habits to the web part of it was misunderstanding the web and so trying things that were very experimental and weird and just didn't make any sense if you actually thought about how people behave online. Um but the the fundamental mistake that people make is that is that people thought that suck hated the web, that they thought the web sucked. You know, they thought that the web sucked today, but that it could be better tomorrow if people just woke up and paid attention and said something. So it was trying to be a voice for all these people who, you know, who saw that people were doing the web wrong. You know, you're doing it wrong. Um, And, and had passion, not out of, not out of hate, but out of love, love for the web, love for its potential, love for what it could become.
0: The reason I'm, I'm, you know, focusing more and more on this next chapter with, with suck is, you know lots of people have made this connection not just me that it's almost like the the voice of the web sort of kind of comes from suck in a way and not just in the sense that it's almost like it's proto blogging like you know we're putting stuff up on a daily basis but also like that 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 snarky outsider voice and things like that um i don't know if i actually have a question on that but what what do you feel about like the idea that 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 suck kind of that's the internet's voice now, whether it be Reddit or, or whether that's the progenitor of blogging and things like that.
2: Absolutely. I I, I do think that suck gave birth to kind of that, you know, that bloggy voice for lack of a better term. Um, You know, I should, I should mention there's a, there's a direct historical connection, uh, Carl Stedman was uh, at one point close friends with Ben and Mina Trott, who went on to found six apart, which was right. one of the first blog software companies. Right. Right. Um, so, um, but, you know, e- even people who didn't know Joey or Carl personally, or, you know, lived far away from San Francisco, um, read suck and were inspired by its voice. It, and, it, and it wasn't just the words. It was the, it was the way that they hyperlinked a hyperlink could be expressive in all kinds of ways that, that, you know, people coming from print, you know, or, or TV would, would never imagine a a hyperlink can be explanatory. A hyperlink can be, um, it can be a joke. It can be sarcastic.
0: Uh, there's a quote that I love that says, uh, with suck, you wouldn't get the joke until you punch through on the link. Yes. That's from Mark Derry.
2: Yes, absolutely.
0: So, yeah, again, Progenitor, of there's tons of link blogs, or even what Twitter does. It's like, well, okay, not what Twitter does, but the link blogs. No,
2: no I actually, I think Twitter's a great example where, you know, you kind of have this, this voice where you, where you say one thing and mean another, and the punchline is in, you know, is in the link or the photo or whatever you've attached. Um, and that kind of, um, you know, that... it it was a very Generation X voice. Um, So you see it in, you know, you you saw it in other, you know, in other media, you know, novels and movies from, uh, from the day. Mm -hmm. Um, But, um, but Suck kind of crystallized it for the web and made it, you know, made it a part of the web. And, you know, even though I think people don't talk that way in movies or books anymore, there's, Kind of this um, fossil, you know, fossil of the mid-90s that lives on in this web voice.
0: You know what I see when I read uh, the archives and stuff? And and I'm 36, so again, I'm still kind of of this generation or whatever. But um, it reminds me of what The Daily Show later became. And actually, some people that worked at Suck went to work on The Daily Show and things like that. But like, you know, like... The, some of the stuff, like sending out reporters to cover the Alan Keyes campaign or, or the Miss America pageant, or uh, sen- sending someone to Bangalore to report on outsourcing, like again, that sort of outsidery, like we're 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 not taking any of this seriously even ourselves, kind of stuff.
2: Yeah, and you know, and yet we're and and yet we're doing it right. We're you know we're bearing witness. Mm. Um, the um, that idea of bearing witness and. You know, and, and speaking speaking the truth, however painful it may be to you or offensive to others, um, was just a core value. Um, you know, I think I think Joey was always the kind of gritty pragmatist and Carl was um Carl was the dreamer, Carl was the utopian of the pair. Um and and there's threads uh, you know i see um i see threads of Joe and carl throughout the web today the you know the the utopianism and the and the mercantilism
0: well it's sort of like the, the web is equal parts like um peter thiel libertarianism and and hippy dippy you know uh 60s sort of stuff okay I have I have actually a technical question for you which yes. I, I already know the answer to, but I'm assuming you guys had nothing like a CMS at this point, right
2: we had we had some scripts uh, that published um, that uh, published the site um, but you basically had to you, you, you basically had to drop the files in the right directory. Um, well,
0: well, well no no uh, specifically like so like if you sent in a column, uh, you're sending over what a word or a text file or something, and then it's, someone yeah. literally has to write that, do the HTML, and put that on the thing, right?
2: Yes, and that that was me. Okay. Um. Or our, you know, or I think it, at some point we got a production manager who who did some of that work. But the funny thing is, like, if I had to, um, back in the early days when we actually did line breaks, mm-hmm. um, if I fixed a typo that changed how uh that changed how a line would break i would have to fix the line breaks for the entire paragraph um i'm not sure i'm not sure if that even makes sense no
0: it does to me and listen if you're listening and cms makes no sense to you that's a content management system it's how basically any online publication works functions these days it's it's a publishing software program
2: essentially and and there was nothing you know there was you know, there wasn't anything like it. Part of the reason why Joe and Carl could start Suck is because they worked in production for Hotwired. So they knew how to uh, create an HTML page and upload it to a server in a way that it would actually display in a browser.
0: Because mm-hmm. Hotwired didn't have a CMS at this point either.
2: No. Um, they built one for, for Wired News. Um, but that was, you know, and, and they built it in house. And that was kind of a wild thing that they, you know, that they built that because you weren't going to hand, you know, you weren't going to hand code, um, a, uh, you know, a, a news article, but even, you know, up to the point, um, even up to 1999, when I was at, uh, red herring, um, we still didn't have a content management system. We were just uploading, we were uploading files to, to a server.
0: Well, let's, um, can you give us just like a little a, a little background? You you leave and go back to uh, Wired Digital or something. Like, is is this the point when they're starting to be layoffs because they're missing so, their yes, IPOs? And... Um, so in
2: 1996, uh, Wired um, tried to tried to go public. They got close twice. Um, I remember I remember actually being at a party. Um, in downtown, um, second admission. And we were expecting, you know, I think we had, we had rigged something up to see the, uh, the wire ticker symbol, which was WWW four W's rather mm-hmm. than three, <laughs> um, kind of scroll across. And, um, you know then people were running to over to internet connected computers because we didn't have mobile devices then and checking their email and the word was spreading that the the IPO was off so um so that was in the fall of 2000 uh, uh I'm sorry the fall of uh 1996 mm-hmm. by uh by March 90, 1997 um we'd had round after round of layoffs and I was I was one of the folks laid off. I did do some freelance work for Wired, um, for Wired News and Wired Magazine, and then I got a job at Re- at Red Herring. Um,
0: yeah, can I uh, actually I, I I need to do more research on Red Herring because again, that's another publication that kind of predated the the web uh, uh, revolution. But I remember that along with like Industry Standard and other like. So you worked for them for several years, like right in the in the meat of the dot com mania, right?
2: Yeah, it was uh, it was crazy. I was um, you know I was covering Pets.com um, I think you know just in its in its founding. Um, I actually I interviewed Jeff Bezos once. Um, he'd come down to buy uh, a payments company um, based in uh, I think it was San Mateo. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was pre PayPal, um, and that actually um, that actually started a now career-long fascination with the whole world of payments. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the, you know, the Red Herring, there, were, there was really nothing like the Red Herring. Um, this was before the industry standard. The industry standard was actually founded as a weekly, um, mm-hmm. and seeing the success of Red Herring. Um, Wired, at one point, had wanted to do a, um, a business title, mm-hmm. but the, um, the canceled IPO put that, uh, put that on hold. Um, business 2.0 started around the same time. Um, and I actually, after the red herring, I joined time Inc. I worked for time magazine for a while and then came back to launch a magazine in, um, in 2000 called e company now. Mm -hmm. And e company now, um, existed for about a year and then we bought business 2.0 and took over, uh, took it over. um, And then I spent most of the uh, kind of bust years in the Web 2.0 years at Business 2.0.
1: Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all
2: from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door.
0: from from a oh what was the dot-com stuff like because i've asked a lot of other people that like but as like a um it's like a journalist like a a free uh, you know not freelance but you know you're going to different titles and whatever like was this like sort of like the was this also like a golden age for for this sort of journalism like man just there's there's a story every second and and you know let, let, let's go there's another new dot-com and stuff like that
2: i mean i, re- I remember at Red Herring in 1997 we were our, our goal was simply to do a story a day and by the way I was the only writer and I in fact I wasn't even hired as a writer I was a copy editor and production editor and what my boss and I realized is that all of the magazine writers were too busy putting the magazine together cuz it kept getting more and more ad pages um right so, that's
0: the other thing there's money coming in uh, to you guys at like like the dot coms also
2: yeah. No. And, and, and so, um, it was a great day if I, you know, if I got some press release about some startup getting funded, because that was a rare event, um, even in, even in 1997. And, um, and, you know, I would do these long interviews with folks uh, like Ross Garber of Vignette, which is actually one of the first content management systems speaking of, um, out there. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, no, it's it, it was it was a fun time to really learn the trade. I mean, that was you know that was my kind of on-the-job education. Um, the the reason why I got into reporting is simply I was getting so many news tips from my friends who had taken jobs at places like Excite or Infoseek, and you know they were going through wild reorganizations and you know mergers and acquisitions and. I'd go to my boss and say, "Well, is there is there anyone who can write this? Because this seems like a great tip." And she'd look at me and say, "I think you're going to write it, Owen. <laughs> no one else will." Um, <laughs> and and that's you know that's how I got my start. Um, and it's it's hard to imagine you know in in kind of another era that mm-hmm. uh, that I'd get to do that. I also started writing a column of just you know people um, people getting hired and fired. Um, you know they're. Um, you know kind of moves and promotions and that was a great way to just get to know everyone in the industry right is you know who doesn't like a little you know a little write-up of their of their promotion or their new job
0: or a little gossip i guess
2: yeah and you know that's and it it did kind of it did kind of turn much more gossipy over um over time and you know i'd hear rumors about like mary meeker getting courted by kleiner perkins that turned out to be true just like 12 years later. (laughs) Um, and, and so I just, you know, just learned, learned as I went, but that, you know, that idea that we would just kind of, you know, hope that someone was going to fund a startup in 97 by early 99, it was just crazy. And I, you know, um, at that point I was, uh, I was a more senior, um, more senior reporter on the team. And, I said, you know, I told my colleagues at this point, we're five or six people purely on on the online side of things. I said, we're not going to write about it unless it's at least $10 million. Mm. Um, you know, these days I guess it's, you know, $100 million, $200 million before you, before you really care. Um, but I saw things getting crazier and crazier uh, back then. And it's funny now, like, you know, there's so much controversy over, you know, over whether startups are overvalued and um, you know what's the you know what's the right way to do a seed round or a series A or what have you and I, I have all these kind of I have all of this muscle memory from covering the startup industry in the in the 90s that's just completely wrong today like you know it's just the, the practices have changed so completely
0: well and it's it's orders of magnitude different I mean it's not
2: Yeah, there's just, there's way more money from way more sources and way more startups. So, um, those are, those are step changes, you know, it's, it's, um, it's exponentially more, you know, more complex.
0: But it's also maybe it's not that, that mania of, of throwing money at whatever, you know, and and throwing things against the wall and whatever sticks. Like it's, I'm not saying that every great startup is a great idea, but, like it, it was just there was a time period when it was like, okay, like you said, okay, pet food online, pets dot com. You know what I mean? Like it feels kind of more thought out,
2: maybe. Yeah, I mean and you know, the thing is, pet food online was a terrible idea in nineteen ninety eight.
0: But it's a smart when, it works now. But,
2: yeah, it totally works now because you know uh, you know, we've got the infrastructure, people are are comfortable. Um, using credit cards online, well, that's it's a whole other story. But uh, right, um, you know, it's and and people do like they actually go to Amazon and they do subscribe and save and they just get their right. People their are comfortable ordering.
0: That, that it's an order and 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 get it delivered to your doorstep lifestyle now.
2: Yeah, I mean, but the thing the thing is with Pets.com, the more that they advertised, the less traffic they got to their site. Really. I mean, Yeah, it was, it it was crazy because, you know, essentially, essentially they were driving brand awareness of their sock puppet, (laughs) but they weren't getting anyone to buy Hmm. because people felt like, you know, you know what, by the time I load the page and, you know, and put the, put the dog food in my shopping cart and check out, um, I could have driven down the street and bought, you know, bought some dog food. Right. And I don't have to wait three days for it.
0: Hmm. I might need to talk to you in a few episodes about that. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go because you you've been kind with your time already. But um, you mentioned sort of the 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 gossipy stuff earlier, and I I'd be remiss if I didn't um, ask you some of your later stuff, like for example, um, Valley Wag, and um, how how you got uh, brought into to you were the second uh, editor of Valley way, uh,
2: actually third. If you count if you count Nick Denton as okay. know, in his interim role and, and uh, Nick Douglas and Nick Douglas was the first, right. Um, I, I mean, absolutely. My, my, uh, I ha I have to say my, my time at com um, was right. That's why probably, I asked. Cause it, it, it sort was probably of... instrumental, right. For, you know, in, in rising to Nick Denton's attention. Um, he, uh, you know, he he definitely had a thing for ex sucksters. He also he also hired Anna Marie Cox, um, who was a senior editor at Suck at the same time as me. Right. Famously uh, uh Woncat. Famously as Woncat. Um you know, because if if you look at Gawker, the again the voice of Gawker was very much inspired by Suck.
0: Agreed. Um and and today you're um editor in chief of, of ReadWrite and I always I always kinda end these by asking people, you know, whether they be in advertising or um, you know, a programming aspect of it or whatever, but a lot of what we, we talk about on, on these is it's twenty years on and so in terms of like the online media as 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 it exists now when you were doing this at suck 20 years ago is the web what you imagined it back then is it better is it has it gone beyond what you imagined or has it not quite gotten to where you hoped it would be yet
2: i think that um you know in terms of the technical development of the web it's mind-blowing especially um you know, what's especially nice to see is that we were kind of right. Um, we didn't, at suck, we were very critical of kind of multimedia whiz bang things like, you know, there was something called VRML or virtual, virtual reality markup language. And right. we thought we were going to fly through websites, you know, in some kind of 3d, you know, 3d artificial landscape. No. Um, the, you know, and, and, things like uh, Java actually was thought of as like an animation tool. And we were very critical of that in terms of Java turned out. Java was much more useful on servers um, running, you know, running applications. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to, to see the, the utility of the web today, things like, you know, things like Gmail, um, things like Dropbox, I think those are, you know, those are amazing. Um, the um, and you know I think the the whole mobile the whole mobile world would have been very hard to predict. Um, though you know though by the way Wired uh, in this much criticized cover um, about push technology pretty mm-hmm. much predicted the whole world of um, right. of notifications and location services and and what have you they were just really early to it um, i think the you know i think the thing that um, still still disappoints is that the web has not achieved its full potential as a community um, you know you see you see little glimmers of it with people coming together on say twitter or reddit and then they just do something awful and in, you get this,
0: in what way like what do you mean like they're it's not a community that because it, it, the argument I would make is like, you know, you can be any niche interest right now and you can find your people, right?
2: Yeah, no, I mean, and, and that is and that is great, that is really wonderful. Um, but I'm thinking of the way that Zelda Williams was hounded off of Twitter, for example, mm-hmm. you know, the the culture of trolling. Um, some would argue, you know, would, would suck responsible for that i mean we were hiding behind pseudonyms not you know not very effectively but we were you know we were criticizing people from you know from uh behind a mask right um you know and especially in the early days when people didn't know who joey or uh joey or carl were um you know were they were they the original anonymous internet commenter yeah um but I think I think the difference is is one of intent. I think that suck always did have this kind of core of love you know this this utopian belief that however bad the web was today it it could be better
0: mm-hmm.
2: but you had to say something about it you couldn't just sit there and take it as it was um, you had to point you know you had you had to point out all of the flaws and all of the weaknesses um, I think, you know, if we're, if we're to remember anything from suck and it's that criticism should have a point and a heart, mm. um, and a sincerity. Um, and that's something actually I took with me to Valleywag that people often misunderstood. Um, they thought I was kidding. They thought, you know, like no one, no one could possibly be that harsh about say Facebook mm. and, I really meant it, you know. I really, I, I really thought they were screwing up a good thing, and that's why I was as tough on them as I was.
0: You know, that, that that's a beautiful way to end it. So I'm almost, I'm almost ruining it now. But I have one more question. Um, there's been a lot of articles recently, like on Medium and a bunch of other places, about like is journalism dead versus this is the golden age of journalism, and and you're someone that your entire journalism slash editorial career has been web and post web and stuff like that how do you come down on that is it the golden age of journalism or is journalism dying
2: i think it's it's far harder you know if if you were to start something like suck today would anyone notice
0: mm.
2: um how would they find out about it you know we definitely have a a problem of um, discovery, as you know as they like to say if I if I use a trendy buzzword. Um, I actually don't think that the you know I don't think that the excess of um, you know of of writing it, I, I I don't think there's an excess of writing on the web. I think it's great that everyone is is free to say something. That was that was the the dream of suck.com, right? That everyone would kind of start Speaking up and mm-hmm. and speaking their mind, but how do you find the good stuff? Right, that's it's a really hard question. Um, I mean, in the early days of the web, there was there was so little online. Like browsing browsing around and discovering a new website was you know was this kind of magical pleasure. You know um, what?
0: I was almost about to argue with you and say like, well, what about things like Vox or Five Thirty Eight? But then those are those are started by people that got there first, you know, like the Ezra Klein's and Matt Iglesias's and the, you know, like the, they were people that were early bloggers, you know what I mean? So I, I see what you're saying about like the discovery. Like if if you had a good voice right now, how do you, how do you get heard?
2: Right. I mean, the, you know, uh, what Fox media is doing is they're kind of um, picking up people from, you know, uh, the minor leagues or from other teams, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like the the way the Vox pretty much poached the core team of Engadget right. to to form the Verge, or picked up Ezra Klein from the Washington Post right um, yeah I mean it's you know there's there's a new there's a new ladder to climb but it's it's far less clear how you do it.
0: Well, Owen, um, thank you so much for remembering all this for us and and that was you know that was a great I, I like these conversations when they're. I love to hear the histories and the oral histories, but I also like to to get a little, um, you know, deep thinking about stuff. So this has been great. Oh, my pleasure. If you're enjoying this podcast, there's one simple thing that you can do to help us out. If you do nothing else, just go to iTunes and rate us. One to five stars takes about two seconds. Or give us a review because... The weird way that iTunes works is it's not just the number of downloads, it's also the number of ratings and reviews. As always, you can join the conversation at www.internethistorypodcast.com, get more info, see pictures, and see my full bibliography for each episode. The show's Twitter is at NetHistoryPod, and my personal Twitter is at BrianMCC. Thanks for listening.